welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online in every sense of the modern usage of those words, uh, seven days a week, 24-7, here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. We are available both as a podcast and as a radio loop. The latter uh, availability status uh, having to do with the fact that there is a version of this show uh, running on a separate computer here in the studio, uh, constantly in a loop. And if you choose to listen to us via our radio loop, that's the second link on our homepage. I gave you the link a moment ago. I'll, I'll repeat it in a bit. Uh, you will be able to pick up the show at whatever point in the loop it happens to be at that moment. Uh, otherwise, you are more than free and welcome to, uh, free of charge, uh, should you not decide to help support us, but still free of charge for the moment, uh, pick up this show uh, because it'll be the first show showing uh, at the top of the list of our podcast feed. That's the first link on our homepage. Either way, we're, we're glad to have you with us. It is a Friday. It is the 1st of July. It's going to be hot. It's going to feel like summer. Uh, it's nice to know that. Uh, it's nice to be able to say something nice these days uh, on a show that says it's a... Uh, uh, a voice, a, a, a political show. Um, not sure uh, <laughs> why I'm even saying that, except that I, well, I feel better about things these days. Uh, not that uh, anything has been resolved, but I, I, I do feel a bit, maybe I'm, maybe I'm discovering some um, some additional peace, some additional area of, uh, of comfort, some, I guess it's hope. It's always hope, actually. The only thing that takes us towards a, a sense of peacefulness, it all, well, it all starts with love, fear. We, we, we know that. I've been talking about that on this show for five years. Essentially balancing one off the other. That's what's inside all of us. It's what drives all of us. It is in a, in a, in a non-anthropomorphic way, uh, the stuff that drives the energy of the universe, uh, we happen to simply, uh, using our human filters, our homo sapiens filters, we, we derive it, we experience it in a more visceral way. The universe is kind of more or less above all that, but our particular version of intelligent life recognizes love and fear, and we react to all that. They're natural components of both of us. Fear uh, is something that has been uh, taking the upper hand, uh, certainly on a societal level uh, of late. But there have been things that are starting to creep in. Can you imagine love creeping in or things of love, avatars of love creeping in? What, what, a, what, a, 
What a way to have to put it. Well, I don't have to put it that way, but it, it, it's sort of what it feels like to me. It's glimmers, it's glimpses of something uh, better than the worst-case scenario, which, from a political perspective of late, seems to have been uh, the overwhelming, overarching theme of, of just about everything. The big lie, the Trumpian big lie, uh, continues to power what used to be the Republican Party, and it's the fallout from that, the, 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 the fear of Donald, Donald's fear at not winning, at, not be, at, at potentially being a loser, at hearing Daddy tell him the worst thing he could possibly be told, that Donald, you're a loser. Watching Donald's psychological problems play out uh, on a universal level, how, how this man has managed to infect and influence uh, so much of the planet, how, 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 well, how fear, how fear in such a, a compressed, uh, uh, unavoidable, uh, constant form, fear completely, uh, it, would, it would seem, insulated and isolated from the possibility of love, how someone so skewed in one direction can simply by dint of, of, of winding up in a position of power influence so much of this country, of the direction of this country. He became the president of this country and has influenced so much that's happened in the world. That, that ugliness, that, that, that fear, that anger that is Donald is what we've seen play out uh, so much uh, in recent days and weeks. The two major places, of course, being, uh, I feel, uh, what we've watched happen, the, the revelations of the January 6th Select Committee, and, of course, the announcement uh, by this, this, this embarrassment of a Supreme Court with three Donald hand picks on it, all of whom basically, or two of the three, who lied in the camera to the Senate about what they would do with Roe v. Wade, uh, and by extension, how they would handle stare decisis. And just realizing that nothing was, nothing was beneath these folks. That's, that's the issue. And realizing that this still is the mindset of so many people in this country that the big lie is the reality and all things basically lead to Trump and the inability to escape him, the fear of him, the, the constant pointing of fingers at who it is that embraces him that's causing everybody else to have to embrace him at the same time. This, this, this rather wacky thing that's going on and on. And, and, and then the January 6th committee hearings and these days of, of incredibly well-crafted presentation, of course, the Republicans jumping up and down and saying it's all, rather than saying it's terrible, it's horrible, it's, no, it's completely crafted. The, the Democrats, for a change, being accused of being great communicators by the Republicans. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, of course. I mean, that's just a standard practice. And, and working their way through a series of various uh, 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 
the, the various people testifying, the various witnesses, all of whom were in some way connected to, intimately connected to, the Trump administration as Republican operatives. And it, it, it sort of culminated in a way. Uh, this, I guess, what was it? Uh, was it Tuesday of this? Yeah, Tuesday of this week. Uh, and it was an unexpected thing. There was, a, there was an announcement on, was it on Friday, last Friday uh, afternoon, that there would be a surprise witness or, or there would be, no, it wasn't put that way. It was said there was going to be an additional hearing. Uh, not, the word wasn't emergency, but it was, there was a special hearing or, or something that needed to be done. What, what, what it winds up, was that a witness became available that apparently, I gather, uh, the committee had not anticipated having available. And, uh, and, and the, the chair and vice chair decided that uh, the testimony of this witness was, was so critical and so central to the larger argument of criminality being made by the committee uh, the information being produced, the stuff that ultimately is winding up with DOJ, that, that there was the need to add an additional hearing. And they did. And oh my, what it came, what it, what it produced. The, the, the interesting thing here is that for the most part, I gather, just about everything that was produced was already in the hands of the committee, had been in the hands of the committee, a lot of it probably uh, having been released in one form or the other uh, on the committee's website. But there's just so much that the committee has gone through that it, it, it gets rather difficult to sort out what is there and what is uh, at any given time, to, and, and to put it in context. That's been the beauty of these, uh, of these live uh, hearings, the context that's been given to what the committee knows. It's the antithesis of the Donald way of doing things. It's the, the Donald way of doing things is to just keep a, a conveyor belt of ugliness going again and again and again, just never giving up on more stuff to fill our brains, never allowing anything to settle or congeal or certainly to be resolved, adding the next atrocious thing to the last atrocious thing until after a while it becomes one big din and we're supposed to believe that we can't do a thing a damn thing about anything. That's the Trumpian way of basically keeping everybody in tow. But the January 6th committee has done the opposite. It has taken elements of what was going on leading up to and following and during January 6th, focus on them, through the use of one or two or maybe three key witnesses, but all in the same area of information, of, of, of the, same, the same period of time, the same, the same integrated series of events, giving context 
and meaning and understanding to what was going on. They did it with the false sets of electors. They did it uh, with, with any number of different illegalities that were uh, part and parcel of what was going on with January 6th. And what they did uh, with the hearing that took place this week was to really, really dive deep into the mindset of Donald Trump. And they did it by, by bringing up a, a witness who was probably the most ubiquitous individual in many ways, I mean, the, the most ubiquitous to this point, uh, in every phase of what was going on inside the White House with the key players, the, the, the most uh, informed and, and, and credible, I, <laughs> my God, person you can imagine. Um, I would have never imagined, if, if, if I had just heard her name, and I ne by the way, I, I, before hearing her name, I was not familiar with this person. I don't know why a lot of people would be, unless you were a real uh, Washington uh, insider watcher or something, you know, the equivalent of a royal watcher uh, within, within Washington, D.C. politics, or were involved in Republican politics of the Trump period, the, the, his, his, uh, his disastrous stay in the White House, his failed presidency. Um, but, but her name rang a bell, um, and, 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 and this is interesting, uh, and, and, and because of her name, I, I probably would have been willing to sort of dismiss her as another one of those. In fact, under, under certain circumstances, under most circumstances, she might have just wound up being another one of the, those being uh, people who reflexively uh, kind of did whatever was the right thing to do with, for Trump. It was a name that I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't associate the name, her name, with coming forward and letting... Uh, and, and being as forthright and open and direct as uh, she has been. Uh, the last name is Hutchinson. And if, if you, you, I guess you have to live here in the Northeast or in, in this area of the Northeast, in the, in the lower Hudson Valley, to, to know the instantaneous association that you would have with the name Hutchinson. We have something called the Hutchinson River Parkway commonly known here in the area as uh, the Hutch. It, it's not a long road. It, it, uh, it, runs, uh, it runs up the shoreline. It, well, it starts off the shoreline of... Uh, uh, no, it, it actually starts off the Whitestone Bridge, which is one of those bridges, one of the two major bridges that goes across Long Island Sound, coming from, from the Bronx to Queens in New York City. This is on the other side of the Whitestone. Runs north, and how far does the Hutch go? Not, it, it, it becomes the Merritt Parkway. And the Merritt Parkway is one of those roads, one of the two roads 
It used to be the main road that took you all the way out on the southern coast of, of Connecticut and ran you all the way out the full length and eventually would take you out to Boston and then 95, uh, which is the extension of the road that goes from Boston, well, actually goes from Maine all the way down to uh, to southern Florida. It's a continuous strip of road. That, that kind of took things over uh, as time went on. But the Hutch... Uh, there's a big sign there on the road, uh, about a few miles up. You're, you're already, you've crossed out of the Bronx, you're in Westchester, you're past Orchard Beach, you're in that area. And it says, named for Anne Hutchinson. Uh, they give her years, 1591 to 1643. There isn't much more given about her. Except that, of course, when you, when you hear Anne Hutchinson, 1591-1643, um, clearly she obviously, well, the, and again, they're not saying much about what she did or where she lived, but you assume she was here in the area. And it's this sort of, uh, let's, let's be honest, a waspified kind of notion that sort of fills your head. And, and knowing that the, that the, uh, that the witness was Cassidy Hutchinson. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just sort of said, oh, yeah, here goes another one of these. I, I really, I really uh, allowed a certain prejudice to sort of uh, float into my head about who she was and who she might be. Uh, I went online and, and found uh, an interesting little piece uh, written by a, a, a guy by the name of... Uh, uh, I don't know, St Stevenson Swanson, there's a name. And it's not, uh, it's not one of these uh, hugely uh, um, distributed pieces. It goes back to, it goes back, it's at least 10 years old. You know, one of these things that stays forever. And, and I want to, uh, he, 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 the question he asks, and I'm reading from the piece here, uh, who was Anne Hutchinson, my wife asked me. As official family historian, I was presumed blah, 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 blah. Having, uh, she, there's, um, and again, this was apparently, uh, he said he just moved to the area. They're passing, they're passing the sign on the Hutchinson River Parkway. But here's what he dredged up about Anne Hutchinson. Uh, Honored by having a river parkway and a Pelham school named after her. Pelham is a small town just, on, just above the New York City line in Westchester. Uh, Anne Hutchinson must have done something to deserve a place of history. In fact, she was a remarkable character. A leader in the early history of religious freedom in America and one of the first significant women in the British colonies. To, to commemorate her 420th birthday, a uh, number of celebrations, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> she began her life as Anne Marbury, daughter of an outspoken English clergyman from whom she seemed to receive an education far superior to many men and a talent for religious disputation. At 21, she married William Hutchinson, with whom she would have 14 children. At a time of great religious ferment in England, the family moved to the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1634, where there was no separation of church and state. 
she soon ran afoul of the civil and religious authorities there because of her charismatic preaching style, which attracted not only other women but also men, a shocking state of affairs at the time. Imagine a woman preaching to a man other than her husband, that is. A fierce advocate of the Reformation position that individuals have a direct relationship with God without the help of the church hierarchy. She was convicted in the Massachusetts Civil Court of teachings that were contrary to the accepted tenets of the colony and was excommunicated by an ecclesiastical court. Yet she refused to recant, instead accepting banishment from the colony. She moved to Rhode Island, which was well known for its religious tolerance. She felt uneasy even there, and after her husband died in 1642, she, re she received permission from the Dutch to move to New Netherland, which is now the Bronx. <laughs> Sailing up the river that is now named for her, she and seven of her children, plus eight people, eight others, settled near the present-day Co-op City. You have, to, you have to know the area. They apparently built a dwelling near the river. The exact location is not known. One leading theory places it at the spot, which is now an MTA, a, a, a Metropolitan Transit Authority bus, bus garage just north of New York City, and it goes on from there. She was a firebrand, and she, and she apparently... Um, she, she fought the common way of doing things. She refused to remain in place and to mind her manners and do what was expected of her. And she was, well, you know, she was like most people of that era, didn't live to see a ripe old age. But she was doing what she was doing sometime, and I gather in her teens and 20s is when she was ex extremely active and, and active right after that as well. 1591, 1643, so we're talking about, she didn't see 50 years of age. 47, let me see, 1593, 43 plus 9, 50, no, 52. She just, she just barely made it past 50 years of age. A, a pretty good, a pretty good uh, run uh, for, that neck of, for that period of time. Then there is Cassidy Hutchinson, 25 years old, a special assistant or top assistant, if you will, to former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows, and who had appeared, I, I, I'd heard this before, who had appeared before the January 6th committee on a number of occasions, apparently four or five occasions, something like 20 hours of taped testimony that they had from her. And of course, without hearing whatever she had to say, just knowing that is another one of those factoids that adds to the melange of stuff, this huge accumulation of stuff. It falls into the Trumpian realm of how things are done. You throw so many disparate bad things at everybody all at once or in constant sequence that nothing gets resolved. Everybody basically feels you can do anything and get away with it because you're on to the next dumbass nefarious thing before the last dumbass nefarious thing has been sufficiently investigated and dealt with. And you use your position as president of the United States to sort of glide past most of it. And if these hearings had been true to form, as many uh, committee hearings have been in Washington, 
that wouldn't have really been cleared up. None of that would have really changed because you know how these committee hearings are, especially when you have Republicans and Democrats fairly evenly balanced on a committee. You have it, it, they start off with five minutes of of expostulation and 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 and. and you know, stiff, stiff upper lipping and, and just position uh, putting out there and, and all sorts of a politicizing and, and, and it's grandstanding in the extreme. And maybe, maybe once that's finished, a, a second or two of questioning to a witness. And you know that it's the Republicans, then the Democrats and back and forth and back and forth and nothing gets done. It's just the grandstanding. This committee has been utterly and completely different. And, and Cassidy Hutch, Hutchinson is probably the, the best possible example of how uh, the, the January 6th committee has basically turned this whole uh, notion of what a congressional uh, committee can do and how well it can do. It's just, it's just turned the whole concept on its head. What Cassidy Hutchinson did, or what, was, what she reconfirmed for the purposes of, of the hearing, was the fact that Donald Trump was fully and completely aware, and th this was done so skillfully, he was fully aware of the fact that there were people carrying firearms as bad as an AK-15, among the crowd that had come to hear him at the Ellipse. Actually, no, I have to, I have to correct that. There, were, there was an area that had magnetometers. A magnetometer being something that senses metal. You know, a buzzer goes off and <coughs> you can't, you can't uh, go any further. They either take what you have away, but a gun, a knife... <laughs> anything like that would be detected by a magnetometer. Trump, from, his, uh, from where he was speaking, realized, and you, 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 you see this as, as, as all of this is played out, you finally put this in contact, is looking out into the crowd at the ellipse on January 6th and saying, um, you know, I, I, there, there are hundreds and hundred thousand of you back there behind the magnetometer lines. Those aren't the exact words he used, but this is what he said. And the number was hundreds of thousands. There were about, I don't know, another two or three thousand, hundreds of thousands. This is Donald. Everything is crowd size. But there just weren't enough people inside the magnetometer line. I want to bring you in. I want. Will you, will, you, will you let them in? Just, just let. And he's. And he, you can see him on screen. And what we what we wind up finding out is that he was fully aware at that moment that he said that that many of those people were carrying weapons, and he had said. Cassidy Hutchinson heard him said directly while he was backstage before he went on was. I don't care if they're carrying weapons. They're not here to use them on me, or, or, the, or to pa I'm paraphrasing. Those, they're not going to use them on me, and they can just go to, they can march to the Capitol afterwards, and I'll take them down there. Words to that effect, and I mean specifically to that effect. I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm being very accurate in, in, in what she said. 
And suddenly, you, 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 as you put this in context, you realize that Donald not only knew that people had weapons, but he was fully and totally conscious and comfortable and desirous of the idea that they take those weapons with them and march to the capital where he intended to go. How do we know he intended to go there? Well, Cassidy recites a scene in, uh, and again, this was third party, third, this is a secondhand information. She heard this from the chief of the detail protecting Trump. That Trump, when he finally, he had told the Secret Service, find a way to get me to the Capitol. He gave them this information or told them this barely an hour before he was supposed to go there. In other words, it would be an hour from the time he told the Secret Service to find him a way to the Capitol till he'd be done with his rally at the Ellipse and then would be going there. But apparently, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He had been a former Secret Service guy. He, he took a political position on, inside in the White House. He and the Secret Service, everybody figured out there was no safe way to get Trump to the White House, uh, to the, I'm sorry, to uh, the Capitol. Uh, on top of this, uh, Cipollini, uh, the, the, uh, the counsel to the office of the president, Pat Cipollini, Apparently, and again, this is Cassidy Hutchinson testifying to this, a combination of her saying it live before the committee and recordings of her tapes saying all this, that Cipollini had said to Trump on, on numerous occasions, had been very explicit, if you go down to the Capitol, you will have broken, you, have, you will have broken how many, the, I can't count the number of criminal statutes that you will be in violation of. Now, that's not to mention the fact that you have the intention of basically bringing an armed mob down to the Capitol. That in itself is a criminal act. We've already heard about the criminal acts involved in basically he being directly involved in creating alternate slates of electors that would be used on the, during the actual count. And we're not even getting into the specifics of the, uh, of the, uh, pending indictment coming from the state of Georgia regarding Trump's perfectly clear, well-recorded, stated uh, desire of uh, Raffensperger, who was then, this, I believe, still the Secretary of State of Georgia, telling him to find 11,370 votes, whatever the number was, which was one more than he needed in order to overturn the election of Biden. But when, when Hutchinson was saying all this, I, I remember being riveted because she led up to a rather fascinating scene. And again, she said, I'm hearing this secondhand. But when, they, when Trump finished his speech at the Ellipse and, and was told and, and got into the, the, they call it the beast. The beast is this hyper, hyper armored vehicle that the, that the president rides in. And he says, okay, take me to the Capitol. And his Secret Service contingent says, no, sir, we will not. We're going back to the White House. We're go and he apparently, the story goes, 
basically tried to grab the wheel of the car. This is, this is how freaked out he was at the notion of not going to the Capitol at that point. Now, I don't know how, something's been raised here that it would be very difficult for the president to grab the wheel of the car. I don't know if there's a divider between him and the driver. I don't know how this is set up. But this is, what the, this is what Republicans are trying to attack, that he couldn't have done this. Then again, Cassidy Hutchinson is simply relating uh, what she heard. What has not been disputed about that last moment or what happened in that car was, and in fact, the Secret Service has affirmed this, that the president was very upset about not going to the Capitol. Whether he was able to reach in and grab the wheel or try to grab the wheel of the car, and there's another thing, another story, that he tried to put his arm, his hand around the clavicles of the guy who was driving the car. How, how accurate all that is, it may wind up being more apocryphal than specific. Again, I don't know, because there should be a divider there. But... This is what's not being denied by the Republicans. And again, they're trying to say, well, you know, if she got that wrong, her entire testimony is a lie. Obviously not, because no one is touching the foundational material of her, of her story. No one is challenging the fact on any kind of a specific level that Trump wanted the crowd with the guns, knowing they had the guns, knowing they had weapons. Trump wanted them to go to the Capitol and wanted, had some wild idea in his head about what he would do. But there's intention there. There's specificity there. There's full knowledge. There's, there is a comprehension of what it is that can happen. And that was brought out in glowing, glowing detail. There's no damned way not to see that. And the Republican uh, complaints about Cassidy Hutchinson saying, well, you know, we, well, I, I, no, she's probably wrong about that. Well, she's wrong about something that she said someone else told her. She wasn't in the beast. She didn't watch that happen. She did see the ketchup and the hamburger on the walls several times in the presidential dining room where Trump having a hissy fit basically had thrown his lunch at the wall. This was a regular situation with him. She basically gave substance to the mindset of this guy as you're getting into the January 6th you know, period, and just how basically unstable the guy is. And, and, and the thing that I had been feeling, and this, this really, really happened with the announcement of Roe v. Wade. Uh, I, I said on the last show that I, I believe, I, I believe with all my heart and soul now, the more I think about this, that the, the leak of the, uh, of the opinion was conscious, and it was with the full acquiescence. If I, were, if I were Justice Roberts, if I were the Chief Justice, I would absolutely want that leaked well in advance of the actual official uh, release of the, uh, of the decision so that America could absorb it. That you could say for a bit, uh, well, it's not final, it's sort of, it's still, you know, it's not the official, and it never happens, this is so rare. that the, And as ugly as the leaking of an opinion would be, 
and as badly as that would look for the court and as sloppy as it would seem, it would beat the hell out of having all of the emotional reaction taking place just on the day when the decision finally became permanent, when it became official. And it kind of worked that way. Yes, there were plenty of uh, protests and people out in the street, but I think in large measure, the, the impact of the ugliness and the insanity and, and the stupidity and the complete break with the history and the complete destruction of credibility of the court, you know, with, with, the, with the Trump justices lying on the stand uh, during their, their hearings, saying they would not overturn Roe v. Wade, saying they were going to maintain stare decisis, and then doing the exact opposite lying to everyone and everything, that was largely absorbed. What it had a, a major effect on doing is just digging into the emotional state of most people. And I remember feeling just completely deflated. Now, there had already been several hearings by then, and the Roe v. Wade announcement basically just put a dagger in the heart of so many people, myself included. It was like, oh, my God. God, what's left to us? How can we be, you know, all, the, the feeling was just, was just awful, even knowing it was coming. But then we've watched what's followed, and we watched the Cassidy Hutchinson uh, testimony the other day. And the strength of this, the specificity of what she is discussing and seeing has had a strange effect on some Republicans, it would appear. Uh, there's a lot more, well, the hinting out there has been that a lot of people who have already testified are asking an opportunity to come back and to uh, correct their testimony before the, uh, the committee. Now, that would suggest that people have uh, appeared and lied to the committee. And what they're finding out is that the committee knows this, that the committee, whatever you thought the committee was or whatever you thought it wasn't, and however much uh, internal politicking has been done against the January 6th committee and how it's been toothless and basically it's just another bunch of Democrats who don't know what the hell they're doing. It'll come, it'll go, just like we got past the two impeachments. Nothing will happen. It's just going to go on and on and on and on, and nothing will ever, ever go, and it'll be another... No, that, that seems to be disappearing rapidly. And there is a sense, and I'm hearing this through the media, apparently there was an amazing bit of, uh, uh, there, was a, there was actually, the, the Fox was showing the uh, Cassidy Hutchinson hearing, and they had some, whatever that counts as a legal analyst on Fox, basically saying, as she was describing everything that ultimately would lead to the fact that the president knew there were weapons and that he wanted to go to the Capitol and he wanted these people to go to the Capitol and he said, they're not here to hurt me. And the Fox commentator said, 
well, this is devastating. And apparently, whoever the panel was, you know, the little blonde things that sit, sit on a couch facing you uh, on Fox uh, to get your attention, and, and no one uh, in, in, their, in their brilliance uh, had a, uh, much to say to contradict or go against it. And it makes you begin to realize that this thing has legs the likes, the likes of which it's hard to believe. That, that someone like a Liz Cheney basically is, is deflating this, this make-believe monster. The monster is Donald. Donald is a make-believe person. Everything about him is make-believe. Everything is a manufactured, it's all manufactured. It's all perception. And that as reality, and more and more reality is injected, as the sheer weight, as the cumulative effect of facts begin to basically weigh on everyone, that everyone begins to understand Oh my God, there are crimes all over the place. And, and you'll hear Donald, you know, yelling and screaming, I don't even know this girl, and she tried to get a job from me, and I told her, and she's a loser, and she's nothing, and, she, and, and, and it becomes comical. I actually, when I heard Donald's reaction to this on whatever his news, whatever his, his site is that he's trying to sell to make a patillion dollars, trying to get a whole bunch of money uh, so that, you know, just, just, just more, more, more Ponzi, just, just scheming to get money that he doesn't deserve. Any, any way he can make money to sell this make-believe truth or whatever he calls it. The word truth is in there something. The equivalent of Twitter that apparently would become his new platform. You get the, the, the unavoidable sense that the words just really don't have that sting. That reality is catching up with all the crap that if anyone wanted to really come at Cassidy Hutchinson, what would you have to do? You'd have to go under oath, appear before the committee, and let your story be weighed versus hers, knowing full well that everything that she said has been investigated to the nth degree by the committee. So if you want to, if you want to BS and say, ah, blah, 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 it's not true, blah, 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 yeah, no problem, no problem. Come before the committee, and you hear this again and again from the committee, and it's beginning to take hold. I cannot say with certainty that this is, this is, this is running rampant, that the Republican base is finally getting it, that everybody is beginning to get a sense that, oh my God, this is dangerous, we are getting, reality is... is, is, is it's becoming less and less difficult to say the big lie. It's said again and again. It's said casually. It's being said opening. Trump basically is lying. We know he's lying. We know what his lies sound like because we're hearing his lies in context. When confronted with Cassidy Hutchinson's uh, testimony, he goes through a standard litany of lying. It always has somewhere in there a statement that the person is a loser or that I 
I barely know them, and then a string of insults, and always an attempt to pick up something that would be the basis for uh, undermining everything else. In this case, I forget. Did he bring up the idea about uh, the fact that uh, you couldn't do that in the beast or something that you couldn't read? Something was brought up. Oh no, no, that that she she had called. She had asked me for a job, and I refused her. I refused to give her a job in Mar-a-Lago outside of my administration. Now, that'll be a he said, she said. He'll try. He'll try that. Given what Cassidy Hutchinson said and how she said it, that one didn't. It, it didn't feel like anything to me. And the, and the big thing here has been what what all of this feels like to to Democrats and liberals and progressives, where where you know where you feel your your gut being ripped out and you feel like oh my god that they're gonna they're gonna swallow that one whole. That hasn't been the feeling here. Something is in fact changing. And so much of the change has to do with Liz Cheney. I, I, <laughs> I never in a million years imagined that this would be the profiling courage that I would be uh, pointing to. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree with her more on most of her policy positions. But when push comes to shove and the, and the fundamentals of the republic are at stake, uh, her electoral future obviously is at stake. She had a she had a uh, a primary uh, uh, debate last night somewhere in Wyoming, you know where she's from, and apparently she's up against a pure 100% lie-toting Trumper, and apparently in Wyoming that that carries some weight. She has an uphill battle to try to overcome someone who has embraced the lie. There's plenty of it out there. Plenty of that around the country. I think I heard somewhere that there's either 13 or 14 people either running uh, in different states, some running for secretary of state, the person who would actually have the final uh, stay in the votes or, or governors, that are pure 100% liars. They are lie supporters. They've gotten in there. There's no way that we can stop them any more than we would have been able, to, or the Republicans should have stopped way at the beginning. They should have stopped Trump. But these people are running for office. In some cases, uh, Democrats have actually supported, financially supported, the most radical uh, on the Republican side of the primary, believing that, they, uh, that that would be the easiest person to beat in a general election. I don't know how safe a strategy that might be. But I, I don't know how else to put this. Things are starting to change. <laughs> And I have no doubt that there will be, uh, I'll, I'll vary that statement, I'll, I'll, I'll have reasons to feel less confident that I won't feel this undercurrent of, uh, of confidence, of newfound confidence in the truth, in the, in, in, in the truth of truth. But it's starting, it's starting to change. There's a sense of this. And I, I, I say this to simply advise you to, to, you know, maintain hope. Don't lose hope on this. Uh, even as I've gone up and down myself, there is, a, there is a reality beginning to emerge that is intolerant of Trumpist rhetoric. 
and the reality that the committee is putting out for America is bleeding over. It's, <coughs> it's finding its way into mainstream, crazy Republican talk. You can't avoid it. There's too much, it, it, it's, it's capturing too much bandwidth in all of the media of the country or in, in, on, in, you know, online or wherever it is that you're getting your information. I don't care what your background is. You can't avoid this. It's crossing over. People are talking, and they're talking openly and freely about what they're hearing and seeing. And, and you can, the, only, the only way to overcome it is to lie about it. You know, say, oh, no, it's the opposite, and maybe make something up. But now what's coming more and more is if there's someone of authority who wants to lie and make it up, great, go before the committee under oath, because everything you've learned has come from people who went before the committee under oath. You're a Republican with a different point of view, great, go to the committee under oath. That's really the challenge. And that's never been there like that before. And I, it's becoming fascinating. And I don't see this uh, change. I don't see this going in the opposite direction. This is uh, amazing stuff. Now, what this does in November, what it politically means, how this affects Joe Biden, what, what it does to candidates, I, I don't know yet. But something, the ground is shifting. The ground is shifting, and the capacity of Republicans to just lie to themselves, of course, first, and then to the rest of the country, that there's a change there. And how that will play out, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll hear more about all of that uh, when David Bach joins us in a couple of seconds. Uh, well, a couple of seconds, in a few minutes. Um, I'm very glad that he's here today. The, this would be a... Really looking forward to hearing his thoughts on, on this and, on, and, of course, being David on a whole bunch of even more granular things. Um, but it is Friday, and it's a beautiful day, and uh, it's the summer, and the 4th of July weekend is coming up. And we are reminded that there's always hope, or at least the possibility of hope. It's out there. And uh, so is the need to sit back and relax and Enjoy uh, a little more jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Central F Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics and jazz and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio one word centerlefttalkradio.com you're listening to us as a podcast or maybe you're listening to us as a uh, a radio loop one of the two uh, you it depends on which of the two links at our homepage you decided to hit the first one takes you to the first uh, the first show appearing on our podcast feed and the second one takes you uh, to our uh, to our radio loop, which is essentially nothing more than uh, a, I, I guess, a statement of of uh, a show, our show, the same show, running in a loop. You pick it up wherever it happens to be, just like you turn on a radio dial and find the show that way. Either way, either way you're with us. And either way I get to say, uh, as we're doing this show, however you're ultimately listening to it, but this is when I get the chance to say what I love to be able to say on Fridays. David, what's on your mind? Well, there, there's a lot. Uh, we got basically two like massive major things currently happening. We have the, uh, the ongoing January 6th trial or uh, committee, yep. and then we have the Supreme Court deciding that uh, America has been too good, too bad, too long so it's time to burn it to the ground yep yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah so uh let's start with the january 6th hearing. so the last hearing was the uh was the 24-hour one and the person who they got well it, it was uh, given on 24-hour notice and the person they got for it was like mark meadows one of his top aides yeah yeah and it was Ka- uh cassidy hutchinson 
And among the things that she said, but first, where you can find me. Uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash fresh faces two ideas. And you can find me on Twitter at faces ideas. Um, so among the things that she said, Donald Trump knew they were armed and he used the quote, um, I don't care if they're armed, remove the mags. They're not here to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Not us. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Because as always, it's about him. Of course. It's only about him. Um, we also have him saying that he, uh, that he didn't care that Mike Pence was going to be hung. Uh, Mark Meadows basically doing nothing, which we knew. Uh, and then we get to the, he trying to go to the Capitol, actually going to the Capitol. Among other things in this was, uh, Pat Cipollone, who is the White House lawyer saying that if you tell him, uh, if you tell them that we are uh, going to go to the Capitol, we're going to be charged with all of the crimes. Yep. Uh, which generally when you're, when you're lawyer, because Pat Cipollone is not, he's not Donald Trump's lawyer. No, no, he's the, he's the, he's the, he's the uh, office of the president's lawyer. Big difference between, you know, personal lawyer and the office of the president. Right. That's the, uh, that's, so that's the point. He's not there to protect Donald Trump. He's there to protect the, the, the presidency. Presidents. Yeah, yeah. So they've subpoenaed Cipollone, which they really should have done before anyway. Uh, this is not like this. This should have been done first. Uh, what What's the last you've heard about Cipollone's response to that? Is he uh, is he saying he's coming or is he resisting? I, or what? I don't know what the. the yeah, I haven't heard either. I'm, I'd be surprised. Again, just parenthetically. Being the attorney, being being quoted as saying all of these things that have very, very strong legal basis and everything else, I would be surprised if he pulled a Mark Meadows or one of those clowns-type situations where he, he either refused to testify or actually came in and tried giving the fifth over and over. I don't see how he doesn't testify, but uh, uh, that's just parenthetically. Let's see where that goes. Another interesting thing that came out of these hearings was um, Michael Flynn, who was a, I want to say he was a three-star general. He might have been a two-star general. And uh, Trump's first national security advisor. Yeah, yeah. Pled the fifth when asked whether there should be a peaceful transfer of power. I, I, David, were you, were you watching that live when it came out? Did you actually see that? No, uh, I wasn't watching the hearing. I, I, I was watching it live, and I swear to God, I think I... I, I I think I, I was scraping my jaw off the ground. I was half laughing and half jaw scraping. That's how incredible that statement was. And also just this flat expression on his face, this, this absolute lost, and this just did not look like a cogent human uh, responding to anything. Uh, it, was, it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. Yeah, there's that. Um, we also have, let's see, uh, then we have to the things that are in dispute, the things that are now allegedly going to chip away at her credibility, because if you <laughs> printed those words, you're a hack. Uh -huh. uh, so allegedly, uh, Donald Trump, when he was in the beast, wanted to go to the Capitol because right. he wanted to like stand in the house chamber and, you know, preach to his, his angry armed followers. 
um, how he's become dictator for life. Right. Um, right. The he told the Secret Service agent, "I want to go to the Capitol." And the Secret Service agent, uh, Bobby Ingle, said, "No, Mr. President, we're we're going to the White House, the West Wing. You're not going to the Capitol." And he apparently said, "I'm the effing president. Take me to the Capitol." And then tried to grab the steering wheel and attack the Secret Service agent. Yeah. Yeah. The Secret Service has said we haven't heard this story. Um, one of the two people, uh, not Angle, the other one, uh, something with a no, Ontario. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, has denied it. Now, it's worth talking about this denial before we give these these wackadoodles any credibility. First, Cassidy Hutchinson said that somebody told her this. That's right. That's right. So it's not her saying this is what happened. This is something that somebody told her. So it is possible somebody is lying to her about this. The other thing about this is she's under oath. That's right. She's talking on threat of perjury versus the anonymous source of a person who has been essentially a political yes man for Donald Trump. Exactly. And that the reason that Mike Pence's chief of staff did not tell him to get in the limo is because they were afraid that this person in the Secret Service and his other like like goons wouldn't take him to a safe location and would take him somewhere else. Yeah. Like, this is who we're talking about. Yeah. We're, we're not talking about somebody who is... And we're also talking about somebody who has allegedly already lied to other... I believe it's uh, staff members or, um, or journalists because he's apparently one of the people who told them that they told the, the reporters that they were clearing Lafayette Square before they did it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's interesting <clears throat> what, what I'm hearing happening here. I, I was kind of discussing this in the earlier part of the show. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the, the, the standard Trump way of doing everything, and, and, and he's obviously, you know, blessed this for everyone else, is you simply lie. If, 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 you're, if you're a Supreme Court, if you're trying to get on the Supreme Court, if you're one of his people, you know, from, this, from the Federal Society and handpicked for Trump, basically, because they'll break Roe v. Wade and get rid of it. And when, when the, obviously the question is going to come up that will you preserve Roe v. Wade, will you prefer, preserve stare decisis, what, what do you do? You lie. And why do you lie if you're Donald Trump? Well, because this lie, by, while, while they're trying to get through this lie and figure out ways to deal with it, you just add more crap, more BS, more lies, and you just keep, you keep so much going through the pipeline that no one ever, ever gets around to really piercing the lie. But what this committee has done by focusing and being so absolutely precise about the, the line of questioning and reasoning and making so many people aware of the fact that it's being done under oath has taken that whole BS way of doing things and flipped it on its head. At least that's what I'm feeling. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, yeah, it's because, look, let's say... Let's say this story isn't accurate in the way she was told it. That yeah. somebody else lied to her. Yeah. And it's also worth mentioning, much like him throwing the burger and there's ketchup running down the wall. Yeah. Yeah. None of these things 
refute the underlying issues of her testimony. Exactly. That Trump wanted to go to the White House, that he knew they had guns, and, and wanted to go to the Capitol, and he knew they had guns. That's it. There's no, there's no, no, under, no, no undercutting that. that. That's there. That's there. So that is the important thing. So to try to debunk her testimony entirely based on that, misses the forest and the trees. Sure. If you believe that, that because of an unclaimed source, then you must also believe that Rudy Giuliani has nearly died from the assault that happened to him in... Uh, um, Oh yeah, there was some. He was he was talking. Did you, have you seen the clip of this? I did. It's, I did. Someone, someone. One of the funniest things I think I've ever. Someone kind of slapped him on the back or something, or hit him, touched him, or it, it wasn't much of anything. So, like if you're in a crowd and you have a friend you haven't seen in a while, and they come up and they pat you on the back yeah. and they say something yeah. to you. Yeah. It, it's essentially that, except the guy cursed him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he got his attention and then cursed him out. And they're trying to portray this as a death blow or something to that effect. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, there's two things. This one, Rudy Giuliani is obviously a hack and a fraud and clearly needs help. Well, he, he, he's 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 had his license. I, I I said on a show recently that he'd been disbarred. No, he's had his law license suspended. Everywhere in the country, he is unable to practice law. It'll be—it's pending disbarment once the actual trial takes place, or once the actual final hearing uh, is—you know—once a decision is is rendered based on a more fine hearing. But they had to—they did the incredibly unusual thing. New York, D.C., and a number of other jurisdictions where he has possible uh, legally uh, lawyering rights of suspending his license because, written, written statement, he is a danger. And it's rarely done where this would be done before the final statement of, let's say, the Court of Appeals in New York State saying that that's it, we've had a hearing. No, to suspend someone's license in advance because of the danger they pose is one of the rarest things on earth. And this is what Rudy, that's the treatment he's gotten. That's the right. treatment he's gotten. Because he pushed these, these clown ideas. Yep. But it's worth remembering, and this is very important, that drunk Rudy Giuliani was one of the last voices that Donald Trump was listening to in his attempt to overturn the election. Very not good the point. lawyers, yeah. not anybody else who was telling him yeah. like reality and stuff. It was drunk Rudy basically for two straight years. Like yeah. The reason he got impeached the first time is because of drunk Rudy. <laughs> Drunk Rudy is the one who pushed him to basically try to screw Zelensky. Uh, uh, just, I, I, you, 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 the, the, mind, the mind reels at the thought of what would be happening right now if Donald Trump were in the presidency with everything that, that Putin is doing to Ukraine at this moment and how he would justify... Oh, my... Well, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to go there. It's not even... Oh, forget it. Yeah, not even worth talking about. All right. So let's move on from the obvious criminal to the the unchecked power of the thing that we need to actually do something about. Yeah. The yeah. Supreme Court. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, Roe is gone. They said that um, – actually, they did have a good ruling yesterday. They did say that the Trump – that the Biden administration can, uh, can end remain in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually correct because the, the, the Texas lawyer or the Texas judge – that said that they had to keep it 
his reasoning basically ignored a third of the clause that he was using to base it on. Yeah. Um, so that's actually good. Now, a reminder, because this is this is going to dovetail into more of the, the, the dumb shit that we're going to hear about the border being open. Yeah. Remain in Mexico is illegal. Just even before the Supreme Court ruled it, it is illegal according to the asylum laws in the United States of America. It yep. is, it, that's just fundamentally how it is. Yeah. Remain in Mexico does nothing to stop the people crossing the border illegally. Exactly. Removing Remain in Mexico, similar to removing Title 42, would not cause the border to become open. The border is not open. These, this is one of my favorite statistics every time they, they talk about these things. Yeah. They talk about when they refer to um, like drugs gained or people encountered by, uh, by um, Border Patrol, they talk about these massive numbers. They're like, oh, or they talk about the number of people caught. Like there was one thing that was like, oh, there was 50, uh, 50 people on the terrorist watch list who were caught crossing the border. Okay. Um, you understand what the word caught means. You Go understand on. what the word seized means. You understand what the word encountered means. Go on. All, all of these words mean that they did not reach their destination or they were found. Right. Which is what the job of the enforcement agencies is to prevent people coming. They never got here. That means they're doing their job. So if the border was really wide open and there was no law and order on it, wouldn't those numbers be a lot lower? Sure. People would be coming through. They'd be porous as all hell. And in fact, we wouldn't even be able to dictate those numbers because we wouldn't know who the hell these people were. They would have just gotten through. That simple. How, we, how would we know that they were on a watch list? How would they know that they were, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone that we knew we didn't want in here? Uh, you wouldn't because they got past us. You know? <laughs> so thank you for doing your job, border people. Right. And then here's the other one. So in Texas, they recently found a trailer, unfortunately, with like, I think the number's at 50. Is yeah, that the number it's, right it's, it's in the 50s or something. Yeah, it was a really sad situation. Yes. Now, question for those in the crowd. If the border is open, what do they need smugglers for? Exactly. 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 Like, this is, this is something you need to understate that, that the American people, they haven't learned. Yeah. When you criminalize certain activities, you create an incentive for people to make money in order to provide for that activity. Exactly. Part of the massive crime wave that we saw in the, the 80s and the 90s was due to the criminalization of marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. The old New when York. You, yeah. If the board, if the stricter you make the border, the more, the more you're going to force people to turn to means where they have to turn to people like coyotes in order to get here. Because their desperation to get here is that high. People basically want to get the hell out of where they were. They're willing to go through pretty much anything 
to get here. But the more the more stringent the rules, the higher the illegality, the more the more effective the border people, the more draconian, the more extreme the measures are that'll be taken by coyotes and others in order to get people here who want to get here. That's exactly what we saw the other day with this uh, this very sad situation. Right. And then we have the other Supreme Court rule. So they ruled yesterday. Uh, let me see if I have this right. Basically, the EPA doesn't have the ability to regulate the Clean Air and Water Act because Congress didn't give them that approval. Is that my understanding of what they said? You know something, I, David, and I have to be honest with you. I, I, I browsed through uh, a, the opinion, and the opinion in what they call a thumbnail doesn't make sense to me. I have to go back and read this. What I heard in the opinion just... Well, by the way, what were the numbers? Was it a 6-3 or had, had that come down? I believe it was 6-3, yeah. Okay, so that tells me right off the bat that something, there's something screwy there, and it's somebody who's basically uh, working with whoever the moneyed sources are that are either drilling or cutting or, or polluting or whatever the hell's going on, and somebody basically cut a corner and is not looking carefully because they're not supposed to. And now at this stage in the game, I just I don't trust the court, so what the hell. Uh, I have, to, I have to read that more carefully. I don't understand exactly what they were saying. Regardless, it would be nice if um, in the middle of this massive drought that we're going to continue to experience, the Supreme Court didn't decide that we should light the planet on fire further. Yeah, sure. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because some, been a, someone's uh, making money now. Uh, who knows what the future will be? Maybe we'll all be gone, but we can make money now and let's not worry about the, you know, the future or something. There's... I don't know. It's, there's there's a there's a mental illness that goes with all of this stuff, with everything that we know. But uh, you know, after Roe v. Wade, I I have I'm sorry, I have a very hard time. I mean, here we look. Here you and I are discussing the rulings of the court, and 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 agreeing, disagreeing on whether or not they made a right decision or a wrong decision. After Roe v. Wade, I have to be honest, and I'm saying this as a lawyer. Um, my gut reaction is it's all political and I don't trust what they're going to do. I can't trust what they've said. I can't trust stare decisis. I can't trust their ability to maintain um, uh, the sanctity of prior rulings. I can't, I can't trust their motivation for anything. Uh, and and, I, and, and I, I hate saying that as a lawyer, but that's, that's how I see it right now. How do you fix this, David? Is there a way to fix this? We have to change the court. It's the only way. Look, the, 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 the pretend the Supreme Court is some well-trusted, nonpartisan institution is to live with your head in the sand or to be so evil that you don't care as long as you get your way. Here, here. That, I mean, wow. Yeah, right on target. On target. Um, the court has essentially as much uh, popularity and trust as Congress does. That's saying a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's around 25%. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, somewhere around there. Lowest in, lowest in the history of taking readings on the court from what I'm hearing. And here's right. the thing about the court. Um, it's not enforceable. Yeah. The, the Supreme Court just gives rulings. It's the executive branch enforces it. Uh, if 
the Biden administration pushed back on the Supreme Court, said we're actually going to put more EU on there. Yeah. Or we're going to change how the rules work for you in order if you don't uh, if you don't play ball, they could do that. Well, of course, <laughs> this, this, this is what Franklin Roosevelt did. You know, basically uh, saying that, well, I, I forget, did he actually add additional bodies or was it the threat of adding bodies? I, I forget how that worked. The threat of added bodies. I'm sorry? The threat of adding bodies. Yeah, he never actually added the additional body, but he can do it. I mean, he, and you could do it by presidential decree. There's absolutely nothing in the Constitution that says how many justices there are on the Supreme Court. It is left to the president to be able to do it. He could do that by judicial decree. And also, let's remember... The last time the, the Supreme Court changed numbers for a year, there was no legislation done. The president didn't change that. Congress, you know, let me rephrase that. Mitch McConnell unilaterally decided to change the shape of the court for an entire year. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's not like we can do this. So at the very least, we should impeach, uh, um, we should impeach uh, Clarence Thomas, at the very least. That, that's for starters. That's for starters. Um I, I look the to worry about like removing Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and, and Barrett for them lying about Roe. Look, if you believe that they weren't going to overturn Roe, you you live with your head in the sand. Um, well, if, if, wait, was, if, if you if you if you don't believe they were going to overturn Roe, you mean you're living yeah, with your head? Don't in believe the sand. they were. Yeah, 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 if yeah. There yeah, was yeah. one thing that was guaranteed as soon as they had it, they yeah. would have done it. Yeah. Because they've they've oh, they've gotten close in the past. Uh, there've been they've been five four times where they've attempted to remove Roe and they just didn't have the votes. But six three, it doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't. It doesn't matter what the the people want, what the law says, what any history says. They're gonna do whatever they feel like to hurt as many people as possible. They just overturned the ability for the the Oklahoma tribes to self uh, govern themselves. And next session. They're going to take up whether or not uh, states have the ability to regulate elections through their legislatures and not through the courts. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, well, not fascinating. It's going to be disgusting because you know where they're going to go. Well, because we're going to find out whether we have a democracy by 2040. Exactly, exactly. As soon as that, because that's it. Like, to be clear, if 2022 will probably be the last election of America, that's what we're looking at. If... If something, well, you're raising a, wow, Wait, I, I want to I linger on this for a moment. If we allow, if the court allows legislatures to basically be the final word on elections, it will, in essence, basically uh, remove any, any possible legally rational barrier to total manipulation of election results, because it'll be whoever the hell happens to have control, and 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 that basically is that's the end, that's the end of free and fair democratic elections. Everything comes down to whoever has control of a state legislature and the will of the people be damned. Uh, if you do that, and don't even at least keep the veneer of judicial in intervention uh, preserved. In, in the, the various state courts, and again, because we are still a primitive electoral system for purposes of national presidential elections, you got to have something a little better than just politicians uh, doing whatever the hell they think will serve their best interest, uh, because then you, then you just blow the whole thing up. 
if yeah, the co- let's, let's think about the people who would then be in charge of this. Yeah, of course. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We would have, um, we would have people who are attempting to ban birth control. We have people who have passed anti-trans laws that target one child in like three or four different states. We have uh, the Don't Say Gay Bill has gone into effect or is about to. Um, in Florida, and gay teachers are being told that they have to take down pictures of their families. They're being told that that. Uh, they have to inform families if there is a uh, an LGBTQ student in their classroom. Yeah, charming. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Please. I mean, like all all five of them in the state. Yeah, whatever. You know, what or you know, uh, trans kids. I mean, uh. this is these are lunatics who are doing this. We have just constant like the. It's it's worth remembering that this is this is a uh, a failure on the Democratic Party in a way that it is a negative for the country on the Republican side. The state legislators for the Republicans are a breeding ground for their national policies. Yep. They basically get the craziest Republicans they possibly can, and they craft insanity, and they test it out in these states. And on the Democratic side, we don't really have that, where we just push this legislation where we pushing like uh, universal Medicare or well in California I believe they have a gas tax now that they're going to be uh, refund people with. Yeah. What, we're, uh, we're, what you're saying is that we're not nefarious and 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 underhanded and not and we actually you know believe. No, no, no. What I'm saying is we're not using we're not mobilizing on the state level in yeah. order to put policies oh, okay, okay, there so that okay. people show that they work. And that yeah. they could be pushed at a national level in the same way to build at least a bench. Because let's be clear, our bench for 24 is what? Buttigieg and Kamala Harris? Who, yeah. Who else? Yeah. I yeah. want Fetterman. But, by, but we're talking a guy who's been in a senator for two months, for two years at that point. Yeah. Then maybe Warnock? Like, you think they're going to vote for another black guy? Like, think about if Warnock won. I, I tell you, David, um, the more I listen to this and the more I think about what the court can do, the damage this court can do going forward, the more I feel that the only way to deal with it, because you'll never get the, you'll never get the impeachment thing going fast enough and furious enough, Biden is simply going to have to basically grow a big pair and go ahead and pack the court and just go ahead and add 9 or 10 or 11, you know, take it up to 9 or 11, take it up to 11. And basically uh, get things done that way and do it very, very quickly. Because if you allow this to go into the next session and the damage these people can do, if you allow legislatures to be the last word in election, and worse than that, if some legislature actually goes ahead and, 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 and exercises that ability and it does it in a way that clearly is in violation of what the actual vote was. There'll be, it'll be, you're going to have, it'll be a revolution. It'll, it's over. It's over. We no longer have, you know, we no longer have any kind of a fair, free and fair election. And of course, the problem in these things is that when you have closely contested uh, elections in various states, it's usually by a few hundred votes. That's the other thing. It's easy to, easier to mess around with that than it would be with 11,790, uh, whatever the number was in Georgia and stuff like that. And, and, and uh, it would be over. I, I, I want to believe, I want to believe, I mean, I don't trust the court, 
but I want to believe that it's rational enough to understand the danger of doing this. But I, 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 can't, I can't trust it. The only thing I could trust would be uh, basically uh, doing it by the numbers and doing it in a, in a, in a radical sort of a way. And we're going to have to get radical Democrats. Uh, uh, Biden's going to have to go radical here and, and do what, what, uh, what FDR threatened, uh, basically, uh, to uh, pack the court because you can't trust it and you can't allow uh, this to become political. And there's going to have to be a lot more publication and a lot more uh, uh, information out there to the public on what would happen if the court did this in order to basically give a foundation for Biden doing this. You can't trust the court. It's that simple. But uh, once again, as we sit here on the 1st of July uh, in the year 2022 with a, a nice hot day and people heading out for the 4th of July weekend and everything else, um, there's some hope. There's always some hope. We, we don't know how this is all going to play out. Uh, and, and as you and I have discussed on countless occasions, that's why they play the games. Uh, David, by the way, in, in, in terms of listening to how the games play out, where do they hear you doing the play-by-play -play and the color commentary? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Fresh Faces New Ideas and Twitter at Faces Ideas. All right. Uh, David, once again, thank you so much for, for being with us on Friday. Thank all of you. Happy 4th of July weekend. Hopefully the true meaning of it will uh, infuse your holiday and uh, you'll have a good time while you're at it. The weather sounds like it's supposed to hold up a bit here in the Northeast. Um, and we, we go with hope. We, we, we wouldn't be talking about all this. We wouldn't be thinking about this if hope weren't a possibility. Uh, and uh, with that in mind, uh, <laughs> that most eloquent and, and thoughtful and hopeful of all American original art forms would be appropriate at this moment, which leads me to say a little more jazz.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Yes, Cassidy Hutchinson was a major breath of fresh air, and for the first time, there's this sense of accountability. Hey, if you have a counterpoint, it's not just basically mouthing a Donald point. You better get under oath to say something, but there's so much more that has been happening in the background over the course of not just the last four or five years, but many others. There's a lot of challenges we still have to deal with. 